0: We lost our humanity. We lost our dignity. We got punished for something we did not do.
1: Amazing Sports Stories from the BBC World Service tells the story of the Black 14. Our young lives were flipped upside down.
2: Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Hello, I'm James Reynolds. Welcome to the documentary from the BBC World Service. In BBC OS Conversations, we bring people together to share their experiences. This time, it's Ukrainians who decided to accept their future amid the continued fighting. It has been two years since the beginning of Russia's invasion. There's been so much pain, so much destruction along the way. In this edition, we hear from Ukrainians, mothers who chose to bring new life into a war zone, and from the women who escaped Ukraine at the beginning, but ultimately decided that home is more important than anything else they went back.
1: It felt like I never left it. I felt stronger. I felt happier. I didn't feel lonely anymore. So it was
2: good. We'll hear more from that conversation a little later on. The war has so far claimed an extraordinarily large number of lives. It's also made refugees of many millions. For those who remain in Ukraine, you can imagine that just getting by would be the priority. But there are those planning to have families And having those families. We brought together three women who've all had babies during the war. They are Angelina Karyakina. She's based in the Kiev region and has a son, Miron, who's about to turn one. Tatiana Strelchenko from Kharkiv has a five-year-old daughter and gave birth to her son Igor ten months ago. And Halia Rudik lives in a small village outside Kiev. Her daughter Maria is eight months old and Halia also got married to her husband Kostya just before the war began
3: we were both working as producers. So, you know, we were managing our family and work. So we were discussing this. We wanted uh, to have a kid. And uh, we understood that it will never be a better time in Ukraine after full-scale invasion to have a baby.
2: Were you afraid to bring a child into the world during a war?
3: The day when I was given birth, there were missiles and drones at the same moment, passing the maternity hospital. Definitely, I was worrying, but that's the life we have here now.
2: Let's bring in Angelina. And just to tell our audience, Angelina, like every busy mother around the world, has many things to do and is in a car at the moment, uh, travelling. What were your family's thoughts about having a child as the war began?
4: We did all have our concerns, of course. Many hospitals and maternity wards, including a maternity ward in Mariupol, was horrendously bombarded in March 2022. So it was not only the concerns we had, you know, considering the moment of of bringing the baby into the world, but also the future. How safe is it to stay? How life will look for all of us like? But we didn't consider living Kiev or leaving Ukraine. And that's probably the privilege of the moment, because my son was born last year, the year after the Russians retrieved from Kiev region and basically from the village where we live, from the house where they also stayed, the house that they looted. So it really gave us a feeling that it's more or less safe now, at least safer than it used to be at the beginning of the full-scale invasion.
2: Tatiana, our third guest, your son, Igor was born in April 2023. What was it like, again, same question to you, thinking about creating a new life amid war?
0: I have an older daughter. She is five now, and I always wanted to have a big family, three or two children, and I wanted, I thought three years difference in my children, it will be great. When my daughter was three, the war was started, of course, we were shocked and firstly, we didn't <laughs> we didn't want anything. But after I understood, it will not uh, finish soon and I don't want to stop my life. And I want second children. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to change my focus from all this uh, war to carrying my baby.
2: Igor was born in April 2023. And Halia was talking about the war when her daughter was born. What was the war like when Igor was born?
0: I was in Kriminchuk. Now I'm in Kharkiv, and uh, I was in a more safe place than Kharkiv. So we, we had air alarms every day, we had blackouts, we had time without electricity.
2: Halia, your daughter Maria, she's not even one years old, but she's never known peace.
3: Unfortunately not. No, even today we're sleeping and it was so deep, uh, so we didn't hear uh, air alarms and there were missiles passing our home, So we were just like scary, grab a kid and going down to the shelter tonight. So no, there were no day uh, without war for her, unfortunately.
2: That means, I suppose, to her as she grows up and begins to take her first steps and say her first words that war is... Is normal.
3: Oh, I hope no. Uh, uh, we're trying to make her life, uh, pretending that there is no work for her. We're just, like, trying to make her childhood happy. And so we're trying to close her ears uh, when there is, like, some massive shellings, uh, and sitting down in shelters, trying just, like, to... Make it uh, as we had life before. She is almost walking, and yeah, every day she feels maybe how we're worrying about her and about her life and how it will be in the future.
2: Is she a happy kid?
3: Yes, <laughs> all kids are happy <laughs> because of what they know. They don't know all the scaries of yeah or yeah. She see happy parents. She see her cat, her grandparents <laughs> who love her.
4: That's what she needs we also did have almost the same morning as Halia and her family had. This morning started at 6am with all of us going down to a place that we call our home shelter, but it's not a shelter, it's just a, a regular bathroom on the first floor of our private house. Listening to the literally to the, to the missiles flying over our roof. Unfortunately, my son, or fortunately, luckily, I would say, he doesn't understand really what is happening. And he, he thinks it's kind of an adventure. It's funny when your parents, for some reason, take you some place and you sit on the floor, you know, not in a bed, when they let you crawl, you know, in a bathroom where they would regularly would not prefer you (laughs) grow. But at the same time, I think he will be growing up in an atmosphere or in a reality where war is a new norm. Unfortunately, he will be learning things that I wasn't learning in, in my school, in my daycare. He will be learning what it takes to hide from the missiles and drones. He will be seeing lots of his friends or dads of his friends go and fight or maybe lose some of his uh, males around him. I only hope that at the moment when he's grown up, when he will be turning 18, he will not need you know, to do the job that we have to do, and, you know, stop this nightmare. I really hope he wouldn't need to do that and we will do the job for him. Unfortunately, it's not like we can you know, trick him. It's completely new life with new rules for him and we all need to adhere to this rule. This is how life will look for him now.
2: Tatiana, with your son Igor, who's coming up to his first birthday, how do you protect him from the war?
0: Oh, in Kharkiv it is difficult to protect because we have uh, firstly rocket first arrive, then alarm, sometimes alarm and most times after uh, rockets. But when we see some message in our channels about uh, rockets, we go in corridor in the hall (laughs) and sit there. I'm living uh, in the end of the city, near the Kyiv uh, way, as a way. so I hope we have a safe region of Kharkiv.
4: Listening to Tatiana, I really need to stress that, of course, I'm in a very much privileged position because Kyiv is one of the most defended cities right now with all the anti-aircraft defense and everything that we have here, even, you know, with a number of ballistic missiles and drones that are sent in Kyiv region and in Kyiv weekly. I mean, these are numbers incomparable to any city in the world. It's still quite strong and it gives us this feeling that we are defended, you know, and, and, and we can stay here. But at the same time, women with children or pregnant women who are staying in other places in Ukraine under constant threat, this is something that we also need to consider and understand. And the number of choices that these families have to take daily decide whether they stay or go, whether they pick daycare or school in their home city or in the home village where they have family and support and places that they know or a job is very, very hard and challenging. My heart really breaks for thinking about women, pregnant women and families with, with children in this position.
2: I agree. Halia, as your daughter Maria gets older, in the next couple of years, she'll begin to ask you questions about life, who knows where the war will be? But are, are you ready to be in a position to give her answers about the world?
3: Yes. Why not? I'll definitely <laughs> tell her. How it was for us, for our family, how she was born, uh, how I was just like ordering thousands of different stuff for her, worrying that uh, war can uh, come back and uh, she'll be out of some nappies or some snacks. I'll show her photos. Not scary, but...
0: Yeah, but I have an older daughter, Milana. She is five, and she asked me a lot about this situation because we moved uh, from Kharkiv to the other city. We changed uh, some kindergartens, and uh, she asked me why why these people attack us, and uh, why, and who, and uh, a lot of questions. So I answered. (laughs) Firstly, I tried to answer, like, for child, you know. She knows a lot from her friends from the kindergarten. So I started to say, like, for adult people, It's happened. It's bad Russian people do it. Not only I'm ready to answer the questions, I'm ready to show him
4: pictures, to show him videos and photos. We are in a position that we could do, you know, more than our, for example, grandparents could tell us about the Second World War. It will be something fresh and part of his life, unfortunately. But I really want to be in a position where I'm not embarrassed to tell him, that I haven't done something when I could in order to make his life happier and in order to make him live his happy life in his country.
2: Angelina Karyakina, Tatiana Strelchenko and Halia Rudik. We wish them and their growing families well. I'm James Reynolds. You're listening to BBC OS Conversations from the BBC World Service.
5: In 1969, a
1: plan to show support for an anti-racism protest turned the lives of 14 promising Black student-athletes upside down. I don't think we realize what the true flavor of Wyoming was back in 1969. Amazing Sports Stories from the BBC World Service tells the story of the Black 14. There was a rebel
3: Confederate flag being flown.
1: It was different. It was definitely different. Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts.
2: This time we're hearing from Ukrainians who decided to accept their future amid the continued fighting. Angelina's husband, by the way, recently completed a pilot drone course. Like all men in Ukraine, between the ages of 27 and 60, he could be drafted into the military at any time. And At the end of last year, Ukraine's war chiefs said that the country needed up to half a million extra soldiers to continue fighting the war. Recent legislation proposes lowering the lower age limit to 25. The average lifespan of a man in Ukraine, according to the country's Institute for Demography and Social Studies, has also dropped by 10 years to just 57, placing it in the bottom five countries in the world for male life expectancy. We've heard the views of three Ukrainian men about fighting in the war. They are Yevgen. And also Pavlo, who lost an arm while serving on the front line. And firstly, you'll hear from Vlad. He's 21. He's a medical student in Kharkiv.
4: There are a lot of older people who went to the war. And nowadays, youth trying just to leave Ukraine and continue their lives without being traumatized because they're asking like, the highest value for this war. They're asking for our lives. I won't go as a soldier because nowadays we're having AI, we're having all these technologies, so I think that is outdated topic to go there as a soldier. Maybe you should go there and make something instead a stone or something else using technology. But as for me, I will go there as a doctor or as a medic or as a
2: nurse. There's a full-scale war, but it's still like people
6: don't care. We need everyone to come together like they did on the first day. Everyone's either injured like me or dead. My name is Henn. I'm 25, live in Kiev. And I'm OK with uh, going to the front line if needed, because Russia is literally trying to kill us. What else choice do we have? You can die on the front line or you can survive there. But if Russia wins, they will just come to a house and execute you. I'm young. People who are older, they might not be in a good enough physical shape to do the job that young men can do. I have no idea what speciality, but I'm willing to learn anything. It's such an opportunity to learn so much new things that you can't learn anywhere. Two years ago, I came to Recruitment Point and they said that they can only offer me to sign a contract. But to join by mobilization, it's uh, not possible because I'm too young. My girlfriend, as most people, is not happy about it, but I don't know literally any soldier whose family was happy about him going to war. Someone had to do it.
2: The views of three young men on being called up to fight for their country. Next, I want to introduce you to three women. They're all in their late 20s or early 30s. They fled the fighting at the start of the war. They left Ukraine. But they then decided to go home, despite the fact that the war continues. Alina is married with a two-year-old daughter. She's now back at home in the town of Mykolaiv in southern Ukraine. Olga lives in Kiev and Alice is also in the capital. She escaped Ukraine in March 2022, shortly after the start of the war.
5: I left Ukraine and I went to Poland, to Warsaw. And from there, I went to Lithuania. I stayed there for 10 days or 14 days, something like that. And then I moved to Madrid, Spain. I stayed there quite a while. Then I moved to England, to Isle of Wight.
2: And as you were staying in touch with family in Ukraine, at what point did it become clear to you that you could or you should go back home?
5: I think I decided to come home when my other friends decided to come home, my closest friends. It wasn't for family. It was more for my group of
2: friends. What was it like living abroad, away from home in that, wartime exile
5: it was quite hard especially in spain because turned out that nobody speaks english in spain almost and i didn't speak spanish so i needed to learn it very 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 quickly quickly. very (laughs) fast yeah and it was a little bit hard for me but i moved abroad with my best friend we escaped the war together but when she decided to come back home and i was left alone there that was quite hard. The fact that people didn't experience the war, I mean, it's a good thing, but they would never understand me. They're very supportive and helpful and empathic, but if you didn't leave these events, you don't have a clue. This is why I decided to come back home, because here everybody knows what's going on what kind of feelings are you experiencing what's going on inside of you and your soul and you don't even need to say that
2: thanks so much alice let's bring in alina in Mikolaev in the south of ukraine near odessa as the war broke out along with millions of others you left going to switzerland and, and poland what was that like
7: it was quite hard I moved with uh, my family, my husband and my small daughter. At that time, uh, she was only one year old. Rakov was amazing, especially when you find people from mm-hmm. Ukraine and you can chat with them. They have the same problem, same issues to talk. Your child can find Ukrainian children as well. But of course, truthfully speaking, it's not leaving you waiting waiting till the time when somebody is going to come and tell you you can go home. But in my situation, I got the sickness, and uh, it was the reason we decided to go back home.
2: I want to bring in our third guest, Olga, who's currently in Kiev.
1: I went to Poland, to Krakow first, and then for a few days I was deciding where to go and I got connections in France. So me and my friend, we went to Paris and I lived there for three months and then came back home on June 1st. For me, the reason to come back was my family In uh, May, my brother came back from the war. He was injured, but things got alive. And uh, for me, it was like the last drop that I can't stay alone there so far when my family is going through all of this alone and I'm... Just feeling separated. My friends started coming back and I felt like okay, it's time to go back. Or I stay here and change my life completely, or I come back and I felt like no, no other option for me. I just want
2: to come back home. What's it like being back home, Olga?
1: Oh, (laughs) it was wonderful. Honestly, when I came back in June, it felt like I never left it. I felt stronger, I felt happier. I didn't feel lonely anymore, so
2: it was good. Bring back in Alice, uh, who's also in Kiev. Is there a difference between the people who, like you, had to escape for safety and came back and the people who, for different reasons, always stayed?
5: Maybe, but not much, honestly. I have friends who stayed the whole time in Kiev. When I just came back from England, I was a little bit terrified with the air radars or something like that. Yeah. And they were like, It's fine. So they're just used to it, okay? But uh, after three months or something like that, me as well. It's better to stay anyway here for me.
2: Why is it better?
5: I don't know, because it's my motherland. All of my friends are here. My family is here. My mom joined the armed forces, and now she's on rotation, so I can see her. She's not on Donbass. Mm -hmm. Also, we can develop here. You know, when you're here, you can educate people. You can volunteer. You can do way more. It's true. Not only donate, not only support via social media, but also really help, go somewhere, go closer to Kramatorsk, you know, just to help people.
7: I absolutely agree with Alice that you can do something from here. I mean, you understand the situation, so I can speak only about Mikolaj. I understand the needs of people here, my friends, our relatives. You can help um, definitely inside the situation.
1: Absolutely. I feel the same. When I was reading news, it felt much more overwhelming than when you are here. the same right now. For example, if we sometime go abroad for some short period of time and then something happened and we are there, like it's mind-blowing when you are there and you don't know what's happening right now in your area. And here, even it's so dangerous and risky, but you feel much better in your heart, in your spirits when you are here with your community with young people like it's crazy but it feels bad you've all said yeah. the
2: same thing that's so interesting and for all three of you no one knows what the course of the war is is going to be like and of course ukraine's going through some really difficult moments at the moment about the supplies it's getting or not getting from the west but do you all envisage having to leave again or are you now for good back in ukraine alice
5: Yeah, I think I I would rather stay here and help here. I can come and go for something if our soldiers need something, for example, cars or something like that. Sometimes I go abroad, but no, I think I will stay here. I think girls also should go and learn how to shoot, how to give medical um, support or things like this, just in case.
1: I have the same feelings and thoughts that I I don't imagine going abroad again for a long time. We hope for the best. I also, I want to be here, support my family as much as I can. Even, I don't know, small things that you can do here for people around you, it feels like that you are more needed here than when you go abroad.
7: For me, it's a hard question. From the one side, I feel that I'm doing something necessary here i feel my nation i feel my roots i want to help and support but i do have a small child my town is much more closer to let's say the Herson. it was occupied right now it's fine but anyway the situation it's not so good and if something is going to happen in my region probably i'm going to take a, my daughter and i will leave But I hope that everything is going to be fine and we're going to stay here till the end. Not the end, the end, but uh, it's going to be the good end. Till the victory. (laughs) Yes, till the victory, right.
2: (laughs) Olga, Alina and Alice, who all decided to go back to Ukraine, they are now finding some reasons to be positive, even though the bloodshed continues in what appears now to be a war of attrition. And for a different perspective, I wonder if I can point you towards another BBC documentary podcast. It's called Two Years of War, Voices from Russia, available wherever you download your podcasts. I'm James Reynolds. You've been listening to the documentary from the BBC World Service.